Bibles out tonight. Turn to the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. As you turn there, let me thank everyone who came out on Sunday night for our special kickoff to the Christmas season. Had a wonderful time. Had a lot of visitors. I don't know how many hundreds of tracks were given out on Sunday night. And had some good food. My goodness, if you were here, the lines were backed up at every food truck that was here. And I went up to the trucks before they left. You know, when you invite the people to come, you want to make sure that it was worth their while to come. You don't want to invite somebody to come and they make, you know, five bucks. And uh, so I was wanting to make sure that they had made a good bit of money while they were here. So we invite them back. They come. And all of the trucks sold out of their main staples while they were there. And uh, some of you stood in the line for about 30 minutes to get some of that food so you knew uh, what they were talking about. But thanks for coming out. It was our first annual one of those. We're probably going to build on it a little bit every year. I had a lot of people from our community here. Social media had a lot of sharing and tagging. And people see the Coke truck out there. They pulled in and wanted to visit, and we got to know them. And I do appreciate a lot of you. I noticed several of you uh, making your way through the crowd, introducing yourself to some of the visitors that were here. Uh, It's good that they get to know us, you know. Uh, You never know what the devil tells people about Central Baptist Church. I don't know about you, but he tells me stuff about you sometimes that I don't need to believe, and he probably tells you things about me that you don't need to believe, and I'm sure that he's told people in our community a lot of times things about us that uh, they don't need to believe, and it's great to get to know us and realize, hey, we're normal just like they are, or semi-normal like they are. Uh, but we had a great time on Sunday night. Appreciate you coming out and appreciate all the help. I'm not going to name all the people that went into pulling that off, but that was a lot of work that went into organizing, getting all that together. And it was just a great way to kick off our Christmas season. So thank you for being there for that. Looking forward on the 14th, what, two weeks, about two weeks from now on our Wednesday night service, our outdoor service. Excited about that. That's really a great, wonderful time just to get together as a church body and fellowship. We'll have our fire pits going out there. And uh, I think we're going to have some good music and just praying that it's not too cold. Amen. I had some of the musicians tell me, that, especially those who have to put their mouth on an instrument, uh, that it's kind of rough when your lips stick to the flute. Amen. Ms. Chisholm, that's kind of rough, isn't it? and then the clarinet and you folks with the trombones and stuff like that. Going to have a good time with that. Looking forward to that service. And uh, as always, just looking forward to lifting up Christ. Amen. Uh, What a better time to do that. I mean, Christmas is a wonderful time just to exalt Christ, and I'm excited about that. And so looking forward to being there for that on the 14th. Make plans to be a part of it. Just good Christian fellowship. Never count yourself out from fellowship. You need it, okay? I promise you, you need it more than you realize you do. And if you think that you don't, you really do. Amen. So next, uh, or two weeks from this Wednesday night, going to have a good time out there with that. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. If you're there, let's stand together. And let me give you one more prayer request as you're standing. Uh, Miss Helen Edwards, I mentioned last week, her brother had passed away. And we're waiting on the service arrangements for that. That's going to be on, uh, on Saturday at 2, right, Brother Edwards? Saturday at 2 at Moore there on Hardy Street. Uh, and you continue to remember them in prayer. They also have the flu. And we're praying they'll get past that. So she'll be able to be at her brother's memorial service. So you pray for that family as well. I, th- I think it's going around. Uh, but uh, the Lord's been good that uh, so far it hasn't been too bad. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Going to continue our series tonight on self-service Christianity. And uh, look at something tonight that God says we need to do for ourselves. Pick up in verse 1. We'll read through verse 6. We'll pray and let you be seated. The Bible says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Next thing we go is we see verse 3 through verse 6 really begins to direct their attention to them, the people that he's writing to off of the ones who are writing. Verse 3 
But the Lord is faithful. Aren't you glad for that tonight? The Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that you both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts in the love of God and in the patient waiting for Christ. Our key text tonight is verse 6. Watch closely. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. Let's pray together. Lord, I do thank you again for the opportunity to open your word for a few minutes on Wednesday. That, Lord, right here in the middle of our week, we might get a little bit of encouraging, uh, maybe a little bit of exhorting tonight, a challenging to us. Uh, Lord, that we might go out tomorrow and live a life more pleasing to you and one more that resembles your son than today did. I pray that you'd help us preach what you'd have us to preach tonight, the way you'd have us to preach it. And I pray you bless our invitation time, Lord, as we seek to respond to your will in the word for us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Just to reiterate what this series is about, we're looking in Scripture, finding where God tells us to do things for ourselves. Uh, God is our God, but He's also our Father. And as a father, we want our children to mature. Our Father wants us to grow up in the faith. We see that all throughout Scripture about not being children, henceforth tossed uh, by every wind of doctrine. Our Father wants us to grow up, and as we grow, we learn to do things for ourselves, okay? Uh, I think all of us adults would agree tonight, we can't wait to grow up and do things for ourselves, and there comes a tipping point where we've done things for ourselves so long, we would love to be a kid again where we didn't have to do things for ourselves, correct? I see these kids fighting to get out of strollers all the time. Uh, a little Christian the other night, Brother Micah, was wheeling him around uh, there at the uh, outdoor service, uh, the kickoff to Christmas, and man, he was wanting to get out of that stroller. I thought to myself, you don't know how good you've got it somebody to push you around all the time you know I, I'm thinking about trying to figure out how and how I can invent some grown-up stroller you know or somebody could just push me around and, and sure enough I mentioned that to somebody the other day they says they already have those they're called wheelchairs and I'm like no thank you I don't want uh, any part of that but it's wonderful to watch our children grow isn't it it's wonderful to watch them do what we've raised them to do and when they start really putting into practice things we've taught them, and what a blessing it is, you, for once in your, your life as a parent, you don't feel like a failure, right? When you see your kid doing what you trained them to do and what you taught them to do, what a blessing that is. It means they're growing up. Uh, now, you and I, we may be adults tonight or teenagers here tonight, uh, but our father, just the same, wants us to learn to grow in our faith. And one of those evidences is we learn to do things for ourselves. Now, our father's gracious. We've covered that many times. Our Father's good to us. He gives us so many things we don't deserve, and uh, far beyond what we do in our obedience, God blesses us, doesn't he? Uh, if God just blessed us according to our obedience, I hate to tell you tonight, we'd all be missing out on a lot of what we have because we serve a gracious God, and he gives us beyond what we do and beyond our obedience, and I'm thankful for that. But there does come a point where God expects us to do things for ourselves, to have that self-service Christianity. And tonight we're looking at one in verse number 6. It's very easy to see what it is in verse 6. The Bible says that ye withdraw yourselves. 
that ye withdraw yourselves. That's going to be our topic tonight for the next few minutes that we're here on self-service Christianity, the subject of withdrawing ourselves. And we'll kind of get into that here in just a few minutes. I was thinking this afternoon about uh, how often that as a pastor you get called in maybe to referee a little bit. That's part of the job. And I'm thankful to have that opportunity, by the way. And I do appreciate it when people call. Uh, Sometimes we suffer in silence as Christians. A lot of times that's just pride. Uh, When God gives you teachers and pastors and friends and parents, Uh, to call in sometimes and help you sort some things out. And I was thinking about how many times I've been called in as a pastor, whether for counsel or called to someone's house, even in my office at times, and how often a lot of the things we were dealing with uh, and trying to sort out in people's lives, maybe a failure we would call it or a trespass in their life, uh, was a result of something that could have been prevented if they had simply done the work they needed to do themselves. All right, and I'll illustrate here in a minute. Maybe it's a marriage problem, a young person problem, a financial problem. And it's a problem not that was thrown upon us by accident, but it was actually self-inflicted. That because we didn't do things we knew we needed to do, we invited trouble that now we don't want in our life simply because we didn't do what we needed to do. Uh, There have been times as a husband, I've been a failure as a husband, okay? I haven't maybe led my home in the way I should lead my home or been the dad that I needed to do. And it wasn't because I didn't have the information. All right, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, uh, my pastor was my dad, and so uh, I heard it all the time. Amen? I heard it at home. I heard it at church, and he was even my boss at work. And so, you know, it was impossible not to hear it. I had the equipment. I had the knowledge. The problem was oftentimes I didn't take the knowledge I had and did anything with it. Okay? That's a self-inflicted wound. Uh, a lot of times our marriage is in trouble. You know why? Self-inflicted. We know what to do, but we're not doing it for ourselves. And a lot of times, can I tell you, we want our parents to do it for us. Uh, We want our Sunday school teacher to do it for us. We want our pastor to do it for you. I hate to tell you this. At some point in your life, you've got to do some things for yourself. You've got to choose to take what we know in the Word of God and what God says about the home and our life, I mean, a Christian uh, woman and a Christian man, and we've got to put that into practice for ourselves. Or else we're inviting trouble in our Christian life. Now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is writing really to reinforce some young believers. Okay, just like you and I, they're young in the faith and uh, suddenly false doctrine has come in, false teachers have come in and beginning to turn their hearts away. Now, if you look close, I think it's in verse number 3, you're going to see what God's will is for them. Verse 3. But the Lord is, what, faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil, okay? There's the will of God for them. By the way, that's the will of God for you and I, that we be established in our faith and that the Lord would be able to keep us. That's what God's desire is, that we would be in a place in our life to where we are established and kept by God. That's what God desires for us. And we're thinking to ourselves, well, that's kind of contradictory, isn't it? That you're telling us to do things for ourselves, but it says right there that it's the Lord that's going to keep us from evil. Let me explain. Just because God desires it for you doesn't mean it's going to happen automatically, right? There's a lot of things that God desires for you and for your home and for your children that are not going to happen automatically. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the will of God. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell, but people still go to hell. Why? Because they choose for themselves. God's never sent a person to hell. They chose that for themselves in denying what Jesus did for them on the cross of Calvary. 
So just because God desired that for them in verse number three doesn't mean it's going to happen automatically. Why? Because God's not going to do this for you, what we read about in verse 4, verse 5, and verse number 6. God's desires for me are often dependent upon my desire for him. Okay? God's desires for me and whether or not they come into a reality in my life are dependent upon my desire for him. Example, Matthew 6, 33. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added. Now the last part of that verse is what God desires. That all these things be added. Now look, it may not be a Ferrari or a mansion, you know, or a Rolex. It's not talking about those things. Read the context. It's the needs that we have in our life. God says, you take no thought of those things. God says, I'll take care of those things. What you're responsible to do is to seek me first. Now what is that? That's our desire for God. You see, God desires the end of verse 33 for us, but we've got to desire the beginning of verse 33 that we desire to seek God, and then God's desires are fulfilled in our life. So tonight, we're going to look at this thought of withdrawing ourselves. This is very important. Now, verse 3 is what the outcome is. This is what God wants for us, that we be established and kept from evil. I don't know about you. Hey, I'd like to be kept from evil. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. You can't watch the news. You can't pull your phone out and and try to scroll through Fox News without reading some salacious article about uh, someone in Hollywood and and pictures that are taken. It's hard to get away from evil. Evil's everywhere. Well, the Bible says in verse 3 that the Lord wants to do what? Keep me from evil. Hey, if, if the Lord wants to keep me from evil, I'd like to know how to get to the outcome in verse number Three, well, the key is verse 4, 5, and 6. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start in verse 6, and we're going to go backwards, all right? We're going to see the, see the key to what we need to do to work our way back up to verse number 3. And the key, I believe, is in verse 6, where the Bible says we've got to learn to withdraw yourselves. Withdraw yourselves. Now, think about what Paul's doing. He's warning them about their spiritual survival. Their spiritual survival, being kept from evil. Look, if you can't keep yourself from evil and be kept from evil, you're not going to survive. At some point in your walk with God, you've got to find a way to be kept from evil. Well, he tells us how, verse 4, 5, and 6, and it culminates with withdrawing ourselves. That means the influences in our life are going to decide whether or not we make it for God. The influences in our lives. That's why he says there are some things you're going to have to withdraw yourselves from. Now, what's interesting about this is these three verses, verse 4, 5, and 6, they involve positioning ourselves in our Christian life. Verse 4, verse 5, and 6, I'm going to show you tonight, all three of those verses deal with positioning yourselves in your Christian walk, deciding where you're going to stand, and that's going to determine the outcome. So let's get into it if we could. Look down to verse 6. We'll start there, and then we're going to go backwards. I told Brother Zach a while ago, I said, I forgot to charge my notes, and so I'm having to use paper notes, and uh, boy, that's just so weird because I'm afraid of that large vent up there because one of the first times I preached here, I had my notes sitting right here on the pulpit, and that vent came on and blew them on the floor, and I want you to know that's a disaster for a pastor. It scares you to death when your notes hits the floor, and so uh, just pray that doesn't happen. I know some of you are going to pray that it does happen because you just, you're carnal, but uh, let's get into verse number six, okay? We're going to start in verse 6, we're going to begin there, and we're going to see why it's so important. We're going to work our way back up to 3. We've got to get to verse number 3. 
where we find ourselves established and kept from evil. So how do we get there? Verse 6 says, withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. Now, what are these verses about? They're about positioning themselves to be established. All right? He's showing them how to get themselves in a position to be established. How do we do that? Well, there's a key word in verse number 6. The Bible says that you withdraw yourselves. It's the next word, from. From. That's a very important word. That's a directional word that's going to help us know where that position is at. The Bible says in order to be positioned or to be established, we've got to be kept. How do we do that? Number one, withdraw ourselves from the disorderly. Withdraw ourselves from the disorderly. Now, one of the most common but consequential decisions that we all make is this. It's deciding who we choose to associate with. All right? One of the most common but consequential decisions is who you choose to associate with. All right? It's common. All right? You're sitting where you're sitting. Do you know why? That's where you chose to sit. Unless you're a kid and your parents probably told you to sit there. Okay? And that's a different story. Good job for honoring your parents. Amen? You chose where you're going to sit. You chose where you were going to park. As far as I know, we don't have assigned parking spaces. And you got to pick where you're going to park. Uh, You're going to pick where you're going to head on the way home, where you're going to eat. You get to choose that, all right? You get to choose your direction. The Bible says if we want to be established in verse number three, you're going to have to withdraw yourselves from some things, and one of those things are the disorderly. Now, tonight, you think about this. As an American, and then on top of that, as a Christian American, we have one of the greatest gifts that anyone could ever have, and that's liberty, all right? As an American, I have liberty. As a Christian, I have liberty. I mean, we have a double portion of liberty because we're Americans and because we're Christians. Uh, Not everybody around the world has the liberty we have tonight. We have missionaries, members out of this church uh, that are in countries right now who do not have the liberty that we do to worship the Lord. Thank God for the liberty. But you think about this tonight. Along with that liberty comes with the decision of who we're going to associate with. And unfortunately tonight, a lot of times, the struggles and trials and troubles in our Christian life, while we're not established and we're not kept from evil, is because we haven't chosen to withdraw ourselves from the disorderly. All right? You have the decision to do that, who you hang around and who you're with. Now, here's what Paul is saying. He's challenging them to position themselves to be established by withdrawing themselves from those that aren't. Do you see what he's saying? If you want to be established and kept from evil, you have to withdraw yourself. You're looking at me funny tonight like I'm reading this to Greek. Is that not what it says? That ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. What is he saying? Choose the influences in your life. I believe tonight so many of our marriage troubles could be traced back By not withdrawing ourselves and our home from people that are walking disorderly. I believe tonight a lot of our young people are struggling because they haven't learned to withdraw themselves. That, hey, I've got to distance myself. At some point, you can't wait for mom and dad to tell you you don't need to hang around so-and-so. At some point, you got to do it for yourself. And all the parents said, amen. And then our father says amen, too, to his children. All right? Now we're thinking, well, I don't let my kids hang around any bad company, and I don't hang around any bad company. Do you know it's not all flesh and blood? Some of our company is digital. What we surf and what we look at and, and what we go out on Facebook and things along that line. I, look, I know it's addictive. 
You ever go on there and look at the log, the time that we're on our phones? They have every Sunday morning, I'm in my office at 9 a.m., and my phone will go ding, and I know when that ding goes off, it's giving me my weekly report. Sometimes I'm scared to death to look at it. Because it shows me how much I was on Facebook and how much I was on uh, the, the, the safari and how much I was on uh, whatever it is. And you're like, good night. I spent a lot of time on my phone. I spent a lot of time on my phone uh, to my ear and sometimes with my fingers. But not all the influences on our phones and our televisions are good. You see, as a parent and as a child of God, at some point I've got to say, hey, i got to get to verse 3 i got to get to the place where I'm established. Isn't it good when you're established? And boy, you can't be moved and you're grounded and stuff. Isn't that a good place to be? Nobody likes being caught in the dryer of life, do they? Tumbled around, back and forth. How do we get to verse 3? Number one, withdraw yourselves from the disorderly. Now, watch closely how he says this. Now, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourself. Ye withdraw yourself. That means we can't get around the wrong company and then pray that God's going to move them. Or get these people away from me. You can't go sit down in a bar and then pray that God's going to give you strength not to drink. No, you got to withdraw yourself at some point. You got to have some self-service Christianity and say, you know what? I've got to be established. I've got to be kept from evil. I want my kids kept from evil. So at some point in your life, you got to say, I'm stepping away from that. And oh, can I tell you, that's where we lose half of them. Because it hurts to come out from among them and be separate. Nobody likes to stand alone. Nobody. By the way, even preachers. You don't like standing alone. You like being in a group. You don't like being by yourself. But can I tell you, there's times in your Christian life you're going to be by yourself. Ask Daniel. Ask Joseph. Ask the little maid. All throughout Scripture, there were people who had triumphs in their spiritual life. But you'll find a time of loneliness, and there's going to be a time of loneliness in our lives as well when we withdraw ourselves from those who walk disorderly. Now, let me ask you a question. I already know the answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. You ever get in trouble when you're a kid? Because you were not with the people you needed to be with. No, I'm not talking about bad trouble, okay? I mean, I got some cousins. We used to get in trouble together. You know, there's certain people you can't sit beside. I saw that on social media a while back. There's certain people you can't sit beside at serious events. There were guys in college, preachers when I was in college, that I could not sit next to in chapel. Why? Because I couldn't keep a straight face. You know, they had become career liars where they could, they could just, you know, not even smile and laugh. And they could tell, I couldn't, my face always would tell on me. And we're sitting there and they're talking to me during the service in the chapel and I'm trying not to laugh. I just couldn't keep it in. And so I realized there's certain people I can't sit with in chapel. Why? Because I'm going to make myself look like an idiot because they're going to make me laugh about something that you don't need to laugh about. You know, funerals, not a laughing matter. Certain people you can't get around, Right? All right? It's the same way spiritually. Here's what Paul's saying to these young Christians at Thessalonica. He said, there's going to come a point, if you want verse 3, you're going to have to withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. What is he saying? Choose who you're going to be with. Choose who you're going to be with. That's why we have the word withdraw. Withdraw means that I choose not to be with them anymore. I choose not to be with them. I'm withdrawing from them. Why? Because I can't be established and kept from evil if I keep company with them. 1 Timothy 6, I want to read this for you. You're welcome to turn there, but if not, just listen close and I'll read it for you. 
1 Timothy chapter number 6, verse number 3. Listen to what Paul says. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, verse 5, perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. He says, Timothy, here he is training this young preacher. He says, you've got to learn. There's some times you've got to withdraw yourself. There's times you're going to have to not keep company with people. They're going to threaten your spiritual survival. Now, I understand that's hard. It, it really is. Uh, you know, I'll be honest. There are some preachers that I, that I, I don't hang around. Uh, why? Because they're, they're not good for my spirit. You know, there are some preachers that, uh, uh, that maybe I, I'm, I'm uh, friends with, but I don't fellowship with often. Why? Because I realize that it, at times, if I don't withdraw myself from things that are disorderly, what is disorderly? It's not according to God's order. You say, well, well, they're good Christian people. You know, here in the South, everybody's a good Christian person. <laughs> it's sad, but true. I don't care what you've been drinking or smoking or where you've been clubbing. It doesn't matter. They're good Christian people. Well, Why? That's what I just want to ask. Why? Well, they got a bumper sticker that says, I love Jesus. That's it? If that's it, look, I've, I have been living above and beyond what I need to be living. Well, they, I saw their bracelet, WWJD. Man, it's a good Christian person. They prayed over their chicken nuggets at McDonald's. They're a good Christian person. Now, I'm not running people down. But can I tell you, the Bible defines for us what our fellowship should be. Watch. That you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition in which he received of us. You see, the framework of Christian fellowship is the Word of God. Who we hang around and who we fellowship with, which ultimately is going to determine our spiritual survival of whether or not we're kept from evil, it's decided by the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 5.11, Paul says, but now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such and one know not to eat. Now, I didn't look it up in the Greek, but I kind of feel like that probably means what it says. He says not to keep company. Now, look, this doesn't mean go throw eggs at people's house either. You're like, yes, no. Yeah, I know that guy down the road. I know where he's been, and I'm going to go roll his yard. That's not what he's talking about, all right? The Bible says it's not good for you. It's not good for you. Why? What's good for you? Verse 3, that you be established and that you're kept from evil. How do we get there? Verse 6, you've got to learn to withdraw yourselves. It says, a brother that, here it comes, walketh disorderly. Now, here's what, it didn't say who sayeth. This is a brother who walketh. You see, the litmus test is their walk. Not what they tell you. You know, in the end, it's not what I tell you either. It's about my walk. That's what matters. What is our walk? Our walk is our lifestyle. Hey, the question is, is the person that I'm fellowshipping with, do they have a lifestyle that is in, here's the key word, order with God's word? Now, you say, I don't have any perfect friends. Well, me either. All right? And if I'm your friend, you don't have a perfect friend in me. 
But we're talking about people who are seeking to live by the order of God's word or whether they are not. And if we know, you know what, those are not people that are living orderly according to the word of God. And the Bible says, I need to withdraw myself. Ephesians 5.11, we know this one. And have no fellowship, here's the key word, with There it is, with unfruitful works of darkness. It's that key word, withdraw yourself, have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. Now, why is he saying this? And I'll give you the second thing. Why is he saying this? Well, it's because of influence. Influence. What does the Bible say? 1 Corinthians 15, 33, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Be not deceived. What does that mean? Don't think for a second that you can be around evil communications without getting corrupted. It's impossible. It's impossible. Okay? Once you're around it, I used to ask the kids all the time. Uh, I invented this word, okay, so don't say that you said it because it's not a real word. I'd ask all the kids. I said, have you ever used the word Zinkledorf before? And the kids are like, I said, do you know why? And they said, I said, because you never heard it until now. I said, I just made it up. I said, but now you have the potential to say it because you heard it. You see? I'll guarantee you, before you walk in this room tonight, you were never tempted to say the word Zinkledorf. You're going to text me after this, or what was that word again? It's going to bug you. I mean, I even remember after I preach. But now you have the potential to say it. Why? Because now you've heard it. You see, evil communications corrupt good manners. Why does he say withdraw yourself? Well, it's because of influence. I was reading about the Dutch Windward Islands this week. It's out in the Caribbean. It's a really interesting island. Go home, and I have pictures on my computer. I didn't get them in here tonight to show you, so you have to look it up yourself. The Dutch Windward Islands down in the Caribbean, and the wind always blows from the east in that particular region of those islands. What's amazing is all of the limbs on the trees uh, I think it's called the Divi Divi tree, D-I-V-I-D-I-V-I, the Divi Divi tree. The limbs are on the right side because the wind, or on the, I'm sorry, on, they're on the left side because the wind blows from the east. It's amazing. And it, and it looks like somebody with a bad hair day, you know, their hair's just kind of blown up. Maybe you have a comb over and the wind caught it and it went to that side. You know, I saw that one time, blew my mind. That's what the trees look like. Why? Watch. The constant blowing of that wind. Look up the Divi Divi tree. That constant blowing of that, not during church. <laughs> yes. No, after church. That constant blowing of that wind shaped the direction of the branches. It didn't happen overnight. It took time to get those limbs blown in that direction. You see, that's the way we are spiritually. When you're constantly around an influence that's blowing in the wrong direction, after a while, your limbs are going to point that way. That's why the Bible says, here's something you need to do for yourself. Number one, withdraw ourselves from the disorderly. Somebody said once, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. True. Proverbs says, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. That's the word of God. It says that when we keep company or associations with wise men, we're going to be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. Now, what is a fool? Don't point to your spouse, okay? What is a fool? The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. A fool is somebody who denies God. That's what a fool is. Now, you can be saved but deny God's presence in your life. You're a fool. That's what the Bible says. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. I know a lot of Christians that are living like foolish people tonight. 
because they're ignoring God's will and God's word in their life. And tonight, listen, the Bible says a companion of fools will be destroyed. That's why it's important you withdraw yourself. Why? Because the Bible says be not deceived. God's word's going to be right. Amen. Number one, withdraw ourselves from the disorderly. Verse six. All right, let's go take one step backwards. Verse five. We're going toward verse three. You're doing good tonight, okay? Verse five. The Bible says, and the Lord directs your hearts in the love of God and into patient waiting for Christ. So verse 6, these verses are talking about positioning. Do you see it? He says here, withdraw. That means to move away from. It's positioning. Verse 5, and the Lord, watch this, direct your hearts into. If you're directing into, that's also positioning, isn't it? Now, here's Paul trying to position this church to be established and kept from evil. Now, choosing to withdraw ourselves from is the first step. But then watch in verse 5, and the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. The second thing tonight that God wants us to see that we've got to do for ourselves is withdraw ourselves to be directed. Number one, withdraw ourselves from the disorderly, from something, but then verse 5 shows us to something. We've got to withdraw ourselves from something in order to be directed to something. I think we could all agree tonight. Baptists don't always agree on anything, but I think we could all agree tonight. It's hard to be in two places at once, isn't it? I think we all try in our, our multitasking type of lives that we live, but it's really impossible. Well, verse 3 is what God wants to do. Verse 6 shows us what we're going to have to do, withdraw ourselves from something. Why? Well, once we withdraw from something, then we can be directed to something. That's what he says in verse 5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. Now, watch. Who would not want to be moving in that direction? That he would direct our hearts into the love of God. Now, he's not talking about being loved by God. He's talking about a love for God, okay? God always loves us. I thank God for that agape love, that unconditional love. That's always there. So he's not saying, hey, I've got to be directed to a place that God's going to love me. That's not what he's saying. He says that you be directed or going in the direction that you love God. Now, this is wonderful tonight if you'll see this. The prodigal son, I want you to think about his story. The prodigal son's an amazing story because it deals with two different outcomes, two amazing outcomes. The first outcome was leaving his father, withdrawing from his father, and going in the direction of the far country. He's down there in the mud, in the mire, in the clay. A horrible outcome. But suddenly, he decides, you know what? I want to go in the direction of my father. By the way, that's always a good direction to go in. Back toward the father. And the Bible says he's sitting there in the mire, in the clay, in the hog slop. And he says this, I will arise and go. Stop right there. You know what the going is? Withdrawing. I'm withdrawing from this to go to my father. You see, he had to withdraw from the disorderly to be directed to the father. Now look, we all want to be directed and closer to the Father. Why? Because when we get there, the Lord is faithful who will establish you and keep you from evil. We all want that, don't we? But he can't do that as long as you're over walking with the disorderly. And tonight we all want to be close to the Father where he keeps us. The problem is we have not withdrawn from the disorderly. That's why you got to do that first. 
The prodigal son had to get up from the far country to go to his father. Now, here's the sad truth. We try to do both. We try to do both. We try to walk with the disorderly, but have all the benefits and blessings that only come when we're close to the Father. Can't happen. You can't have both. So how do you know that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Galatians 5.17, we read about the spirit and the flesh. Galatians 5.17, the Bible says, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. When you're in the flesh, you can't do what you can only do in the spirit. And when you're in the spirit, you can't do what you want to do in the flesh. See how it works? You got to pick one. You got to pick one. Uh, my daughter inherited from me a bad habit that I used to have. I don't think I have it as much anymore, but I used to have it bad, where I had trouble deciding. You know, you go to Krispy Kreme, you know, take those coupons that were up here on the platform Sunday. And you, they got all the new ones, the, the holiday ones, you know, and they have the apple and the pumpkin and all. And, and you're just sitting there. I just kept letting people go, y'all go ahead. I haven't decided yet. You're just trying to decide. And then how can you beat a classic? And you see the conveyor belt coming around and they're coming off hot. And I want to tell you, a hot plane is better than a cold specialty. I want to tell you all day long, that's truth, all right? I mean, I mean the Bible, but that's truth. I'm trying to decide which one, which one. You know, when it comes to donuts, you can do both. <laughs> you can do a dozen. <laughs> Give me 12 different ones, and you go home. You'll feel convicted after it's done, but it'll be good while you're eating them, amen? Brother Battle and I will go visiting tomorrow morning. I know without a doubt, when I pull up at my office at 8 a.m., he'll be sitting out there in his car, and in his car, there'll be a bottle of water and a Krispy Kreme donut, and I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm going to enjoy it because it's a plain one. It's the only one that's going to be in there. Brother Battle, if you show up with two different kinds tomorrow, we're going to have a problem. He's in there. Which one? I like the strawberry ones, you know, the strawberry glazed ones, you know. And you have to pick one of where you're going to live. Am I going to walk in the spirit or am I going to walk in the flesh? The Bible says here there is a wayward walk, but then there's a direction that does what? A direction your hearts into the love of God. Here's what I'm afraid of tonight. I'm afraid we desire one, but we're dedicated to the other. Okay? We desire to be directed into the love of God, a closer love for God. We desire that, but we're so dedicated to that wayward walk, that disorderly walk. Why? Because that's, by the way, if you want to fit in, that's where you're going to walk at. If you want to be a part of the group, you want to be uh, fit in the world and be accepted by the world, you're going to have to go over there and walk disorderly. And all of a sudden, you're trying to decide, do I get closer to God and a closer love for God? And you have to choose which one. I don't know about you. I want verse 5. Lord, direct your hearts into the love of God, into the patient, into the patient waiting for Christ. Here's what I think, and I'll give you the last thing in just a moment. We want verse 3. Look what verse 3 says. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Stop right there. If you don't hear anything else tonight, I want you to hear this. We want God to keep us. We want God to do it. God, I, I gotta, you got to keep me from evil, God. you got to keep me from drinking that and smoking that and looking at that and listening to that and going around there. God, keep me from that. Verse 3 says he will. 
but he can't keep what you don't give him. You see, if you're over here walking disorderly, you have not made your way in the direction to him. And you're asking God to keep you while you're over there walking disorderly. Doesn't work that way. You've got to do what? You've got to withdraw yourselves. Verse 5, here we go, in the direction of the love of God. By the way, what does the Bible say? John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. You see how that works? The closer you get to him and your love for him, the more you keep his commandments. And then after a while, you make your way back to the Father, and then the Father keeps you and establishes you. Why? Because you withdrew yourselves and got in the direction of where he was. I think tonight we're asking God to keep and establish something we haven't given him yet. That's like me going to the bank and saying, hey, y'all have my money? And they're like, no. Did you make a deposit? No. Well, how can you expect me to keep something you haven't given me? You're like, that makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense in our spiritual life, too. You keep asking God to keep and establish something you have not given him yet. Withdraw yourselves, and then what? Withdraw ourselves to be directed. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. That means the love for God and to the patient waiting for Christ. In order to draw closer to the Lord, we've got to withdraw from that disorderly and that wayward walk. Finally, maybe the last thing about withdrawing ourselves. God says, you've got to do this for yourself. You've got to withdraw yourselves from what? Verse 6, from the disorderly. Verse 5, you've got to withdraw yourself so that you can be directed. You've got to get out of one before you head in the direction of the other. Verse 4, last one. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. Now notice verse 4, the Bible uses the word do. That you both do and will do the things which we command you. So here's what God wants to do. God wants verse 3. He wants to establish and keep you. He says, okay, that's what I will do. Here's what you got to do. you got to withdraw yourself. Get away from the company that you don't need to be around. Get away from it. You've got to do that. Withdraw yourselves. And then withdraw yourselves. Why? So that I can be directed. And then now when I'm headed in the right direction, I get back to the Father. Verse 4, what happens? Well, now, number three, withdraw ourselves in order to do. Withdraw ourselves in order to do. You know, it's hard to do what you're called to do when you're not where you're called to be. It's hard to do what you're called to do when you're not where you're called to be. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I can remember many times in my early ministry as a teenage preacher, you know, I tried to live right and tried to do right, but, man, I wasn't always right, believe it or not. When I started to preach, my blood didn't turn green, and all of a sudden I was never tempted again. No, I had problems just like everybody else. You know, I can remember praying, trying to figure out what God wanted me to preach at a certain service in a youth event or something like that, and, Man, I knew my heart wasn't right. You know, it wasn't where I needed to be. Maybe my walk with God wasn't as close as what it needed to be. And here I am wanting to do what God wants me to do, but I know I'm not where I need to be. And man, it's just hard to get up behind a pulpit and preach the word of God with any type of power when you know you're not where you need to be. I've told you the story before. My wife and I get an argument on the way to church. Why? Well, it's because it's Sunday morning. The devil hates church. Man, they're running late. Good night. How long does it take to iron a skirt, you know? I got to go. This is the one day a week I work. I need to be on time. Amen? Before you know it, we are silent treatment each other. Sitting back there. I don't know how many times 
How many times I passed you notes on the platform? She'd be playing the piano. I'd be sitting there knowing my heart wasn't right. With God. I was not where I needed to be. And I'm fixing to try to do what I'm supposed to do, not being where I'm supposed to be. And I remember my heart just beating, boom, 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 boom. I'd pull out my pen. Right now, I am so sorry for being an idiot. Can we talk after the service, your loving husband? I'd walk over to the piano, literally, no joke. I'd walk over to the piano, and I'd slide it on the piano, and I'd walk back over there. When our people saw that at my church, they would know that the preacher wasn't right with God. <laughs> it's hard to do and will do the things that I'm supposed to do when I'm not where I need to be. You've got to withdraw yourselves so that you can do those things. He says, hey, God wants to keep you and establish you. Okay, here's what you got to do. you got to withdraw yourself. Why? Because there's things you got to do. you got to withdraw yourselves. Why? So that you stay in the right direction. you got to withdraw yourselves from those that walk disorderly. Why? Because it will cost you everything. But it all begins with you withdrawing yourself. I'll give you this scripture and we'll close. Psalms 137, verse 1. I'm sure you know this one well, but I don't know of a better illustration of what I'm trying to share with you in this last point. Psalms 137.1, by the rivers of Babylon, stop. God doesn't want his people in Babylon. That was never his intention that his people be in Babylon. Always represents the world. There we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. That's where they were supposed to be. They weren't supposed to be out in Babylon. They had to go there because of their sin. Watch this. We hanged our harps upon the willows. In the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth. Saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Their reply, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Man, it's hard to sing when you're in Babylon. You lose your song. When you're walking waywardly. And you're walking with those who walk disorderly. Tell me when you're out there doing what you're doing, drinking, smoking, whatever it is you're doing, watching pornography, whatever you're doing. Maybe you're gossiping just as bad. Tell me when you're out there doing that, you're singing victory in Jesus. No. Why? Because it's hard to sing out there. It's hard to do what you're supposed to do out there. Why? Because you're not where you need to be. Why are you there? Well, because the powers of darkness were so strong, they just drug me over there. No, the Bible says you have the power to withdraw yourselves, that I can get out of that. I don't have to stay in that. I can withdraw myself and get back to the place where I'm playing my harp again. Boy, can I tell you, when I first got saved, I sat down, I think I've told you this before, but I'm only 42. I mean, how many illustrations can a guy have in 42 short years of life, okay? And I sat down and wrote this little song about my name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. I wasn't a singer. I really wasn't. I'm still not much of a singer. But man, there was something in there. And I wanted to sing. And I was writing this little song down. I remember when I got saved. Oh, my goodness. I had a song in my heart. Boy, there have been times in my life I've been in Babylon. I have been walking disorderly. I didn't feel like singing. Maybe you're not living right. And boy, you have a gospel track. By the way, get some of our Christmas tracks before you go out the door. Uh, be sure to give them out. I've been giving them out to folks just saying, here, here's your Christmas card. And on the back of it, it's the gospel. Best Christmas card you'll ever give out. Man, you want to give that cashier a Christmas card track. Man, you know your life's not what it needs to be. And you just don't feel like it, do you? Why? Because it's hard to do what you're called to do when you're not where you're supposed to be. Why are you not where you're supposed to be? 
because we have not made the decision for ourselves to withdraw ourselves. It may be, look, there may come a time where you have to choose between your friends and your faith. Am I going to withdraw myself from my friends who are walking disorderly, or am I going to withdraw myself from my faith? Because you can't do both. You know, sometimes, and I hate to say this, but it's true, sometimes you're going to have family members in your own family who walk disorderly. And you're going to have to choose between your family and your faith. That's a tough one. But I promise you, choosing between your family and your faith, well, that faith is the only thing that's going to save your family. So you've got to come out from among them so that your light shines before them. You've got to withdraw yourself. No, I can't. I can't. They say, well, what if their feelings would be hurt? Well, I, I think their feelings would be hurt a whole lot more if you don't have any witness of God on your life that can show them the direction they need to go. You see, we've got to learn to do something for ourselves. What is that? Verse 6. We've got to learn to withdraw yourselves, withdraw ourselves. I promise you this. This may be a, a disappointment, but I'm sure you've already discovered it by now. I am not pastor enough to do it for you. If you're depending upon me on Sunday to get your life straightened out and you go live Monday through Saturday walking disorderly, I'll promise you, I, I can't get your life straight. There's no way I can do that. At some point, you've got to decide, I'm going to withdraw myself from that walking disorderly. Why? I'm going to withdraw myself so that I can be directed. I want to go in the right direction into a greater love for God why? Because there's things God wants me to do, and I can't do them if I'm not where I need to be. So tonight, can I ask you, are you in a good position to be established and kept from evil? God says, I'll do that. I'll do that. God says, I'll establish you and I'll keep you. But it's hard for God to keep something you haven't given him. Have you made your way from there to him or he can keep you from that tonight. If not, why don't you get in that good position where God can work in your life. Amen. Heads are bowed.